Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever heard the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abetha, the high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread, and only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What we're going to talk about today is identity. How does the world know that we're actually God's people? Have you ever wondered that? How are they going to know? Like, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. How do they know me? On the back of my car, I don't have a fish, right? Now, we don't even have those WWJD bands anymore. Like when I was growing up, that's how you knew, man. I used to have one of those bands. And when they look at that band, they say, oh, man, you must be like a Jesus follower. Um, we don't even have them anymore. And to be honest, living in 2019, this is really important, in particular for our younger generation. I don't think that there's ever been such an onslaught um, in our world today of the different voices, the different systems, and even the persuasive technologies that are now running current to actually tell us who we are. Um, identity is like a really hot subject at the moment. Have you noticed that? It is on every single front, it is a hot subject. We are, at the moment, what one commentator um, has, I think, quite skillfully called us. We are the congregation of the confused. Um, because we are in a culture that endeavors to subdivide us and then subdivide us again and again and again. Let me give you an example. You know, me, I'm Dave, I'm, I'm 39 turning 40, so I'm a Gen Y. I'm actually on the cusp of Gen Y and Gen X. Um, so I can sort of relate with Gen X and Gen Y, but millennials, I have no idea. It's like, dear Lord, give us grace. Anyway, so I'm a Gen Y, but I'm a first generation child of a migrant family as well. Did you know that? There you go. I profess to be a male. I have to profess that these days. I profess to be a male. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a teacher. I'm a leader. I'm an interpreter of culture, and I'm actually an interpreter of God's law in the light of today's culture. So, and they're not, they're not even all the divides of my life, you know, but every single one of us, there are all these different subdivides of who we are. And because there are so many subdivisions, and then after the subdivisions, there are more subdivisions, it means that we very often get very confused as to our identity. And if we do not know who we are, there are enough voices out there trying to tell you exactly who they think you are. The problem is they will try to tell you and try to um, draw you into different places based on agendas which you may not even be aware of. And we all know there's heaps of agendas out there, don't we? But identity is one of those things that if I know who I am, it's actually outworked in such a way that you, just by observing me, you should be able to tell who I am. Which begs the question, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there should be something of my life, if I know that, if I'm living in that identity, there should be something of my life that actually lets the surrounding people, the surrounding communities know, look at that dude, mate, he's, you know, there's something about him. He's probably a Christian. Have you ever like sort of met someone and you just talk to them and say, I bet you they're a Christian. Every day. Every day. So that's kind of the question. And the issue that's happening here 
revolves around identity markers because all of us have identity markers. In society, there are identity markers. If you are part of a sporting group, for example, the West Coast Eagles have a strong, soaring eagle. Amen, anyone? Yes. Eagles are in the Bible. Dockers, they have a heavy anchor. That's an identity marker, right? That's going to mark something out. <laughs> anyway. What about schools? Schools have uniforms. You know, I was seeing on the TV, there's even like a new dating app right now that actually only, you're only allowed to be part of this dating app if you were part of the privileged, if you went to a privileged school. You know, if you went to a certain school, have you seen that app? So me, I, I, I went to school in Armidale, you know, Cecil Andrews, Chalice, you know, they would exclude me from using an app if I was to look for a girlfriend, you know, so... But that is kind of the world. We all have identity markers. And the problem is that whenever you mess with someone's identity marker, you're actually messing with their identity. And when you mess with someone's identity, you really get people upset very fast, even if you're trying to correct and actually bring a group of people back to what that identity was originally made to be. This is what is happening as we journey through these conflicts that Jesus is going for. So we've already seen in this series so far that Jesus, he is the long-awaited Messiah or King of Israel. Therefore, he's the rightful King of the world. Um, however, Jesus is come in a very unexpected way because he is Yahweh himself. In the Old Testament, the prophet said that uh, through the prophets, Yahweh actually said, I myself am going to come and shepherd my people. Turns out he was serious about that, and he does that through Jesus. And as we read through it, we sort of have learnt along the path of what Jesus is doing. He's fulfilling this delayed prophetic promise of Isaiah. When Isaiah says, behold, I'm going to do a new thing. We love that scripture. Eh? We use it for all sorts of stuff, run all these kind of campaigns. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Well, what is the new thing he's doing? Well, it's actually fulfilled in what Jesus has already done. It is actually a new exodus. Behold. I'm going to do something that is so remarkable that overshadows the last thing that you were jumping up and down about. It is a new exodus. This is what I'm doing. And through Christ, the kingdom of God, which is now breaking into our world, he is restoring the defacement that sin has caused. So you, we've been journeying through it, but as you read through the Gospels, as you look at the life of Jesus, you will see him doing these really intentional but really odd things. He is actually reversing the defacement of sin in this world. So he is, he is restoring and he is uh, dealing with the predicament of unforgiven sin, isn't he? He's going around and he is removing the defacement of sickness and disease on people. Imagine that, going into a region and sickness and disease, demonic possession, all that is eradicated from an entire region. Can you imagine if a person of God actually walked into a region and like sickness and disease, so you walk into a hospital, right? Because this is what this gospel is telling me, that there is actually available the power of the gospel that we could actually walk into a hospital and people would just get up out of those beds and just walk out. There's actually, would that be nuts? This is the kingdom message. The kingdom of God breaking in and breaking forth. People entrapped and tormented by principalities and evil powers. You know, it's just insane. Jesus walks into a place and demonic just flee because of the authority, because of the power. Because Jesus isn't just Christ. He is Yahweh himself, right? What about like the exclusion, the discrimination, the racism that happens when people, you know, remember that story of the leper? 
leper needed healing, didn't ask for healing, did he? He asked to be cleansed. Why? Because it wasn't a healing. He wanted to be part of community again. So evidently, part of the kingdom of God is actually us allowing those who've been excluded to actually be included again into family, into community. Come on, I'm trying. You guys need to respond a bit better. The more you respond, the more you're going to get. You know what I'm saying? You guys are blessed. I could be like a really boring preacher and you guys, you guys are blessed. 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 The defacement of poverty brings. All of this is kingdom agenda. It's the same agenda of the world. They just want to do it without Jesus as their king. And they're never going to accomplish it without Jesus as their king because this is the kingdom of God. And in order for the kingdom to be manifest in this world, you need the rightful king there, right? That's what we've been learning. But the problem is, and this is the problem with all of these conflicts that are happening with Jesus. The problem is, whenever something new breaks in, something old has to break off. Isn't that true? Have you found it in your life? Whenever something new is breaking in, whenever God wants to do something new in your life, it actually means that something old has to cease. And that's really, really, really uncomfortable. The verses that actually come immediately before this actually speak this. Um, Doug mentioned it last week. I'm just going to quickly go through that. Verse 21. After um, they're having to go about the disciples and fasting and all that kind of stuff, Jesus says, Besides, who would patch all clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. No one puts new wine into old wineskin, for the wine would burst that wineskin, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. So what's happening here, and this is where the conflict is happening, okay? In every single situation, all right? This is where the conflict is. Jesus is breaking in something new, which means something old needs to break off. And it was a conflict back then, and it's a conflict even now. Anytime that God wants to do something new in your heart, in my heart, in my life, it will require, it will actually demand that something that is old will break off. And the problem is, something old is just like that lovely little blanket that you had when you were six years old, and you just never wanted... My daughter still has a... Anyway... You know, it's just like, I shouldn't say that. She's got a, she doesn't listen to the podcast, it's all right. It's, 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 it's so familiar. It's comfortable. And Jesus says, Mm-mm. if you want new, that has to go. Whew. He does. And he says, but, but, but the reason why he says that is, is if you keep the old while the new comes, it's actually going to hurt you. It's actually going to destroy you because the cloth is going to rip and the wineskin is going to burst. So there is good reason for whenever God comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, I'm going to do something new in your life. You're heading into a season of something new. You also need to inquire of the Lord, okay, what does that mean about the old? And my suggestion and my encouragement would be whenever God says, I'm going to do something new in your life, and he actually identifies what the old is, actually break that off as soon as you can, because otherwise it's going to be a laborsome thing. And at the end of the day, if you're following Jesus, it's going to have to break off anyway. So I'd rather do it sooner rather than later. You know what I'm saying? But that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. But the things that have to break off as Jesus is going through them, they have everything to do with the identity markers 
of Israel. Everything to do with the identity markers of Israel, which is really, really bad um, for them. And you can kind of understand that because everything of the identity markers of Israel were pointing. It was almost like they were shadows pointing to something. But when the real thing appears, you no longer need the shadow, do you? Because the thing that it's like, it's like the signposts are pointing to somewhere. It's like if I'm going to, you know, Dunsborough, I have signposts, they lead me to Dunsborough. But while I'm in Dunsborough, I don't need a signpost telling me where, how to get to Dunsborough. That's exactly what's happening here. Everything is pointing to Messiah, to Yahweh coming. Everything is pointing to this paradigm of the kingdom of God breaking in and breaking forth. Therefore, you no longer need the signposts. And when Jesus comes and he's doing a new thing, it means the signposts now need to break away. And that's what's irritating everyone. That's what's irritating everyone. So imagine the things that are central to you. Imagine you were in ancient Israel, or even Israel today, they have the same issue right now, and the things that are so central, they are identity markers, but if you mess with the identity markers, you're actually messing with my identity. Don't mess with my identity. Like Things like the Torah. That's a big one, isn't it? The place of authority. Jesus, don't go messing with Torah. Because if you, you can't go messing with that identity marker, can you? You can understand they're getting a little bit ticked off with Jesus, right? Unbelievable. The temple. Temple. We know enough by now to know that temple from Genesis is the literal place where heaven and earth intersect. Right? That's how important it is. Heaven and earth. In the New Testament, Jesus is the temple. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Actually, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means heaven and earth are literally intersecting inside you. As we gather right here, right now, this is an intersection of heaven and earth. Right now. Right? Crazy. If we got that, mate, crazy stuff. But Jesus is messing with temple. Whoa. This ain't going to go well. Not at all. He's determining what is clean and what is unclean. He's suggesting who is clean and who's unclean. And people got upset and people still get upset, especially in churches, especially Christians, which is very ironic, very ironic. But Jesus is taking the opportunity in this fourth conflict to meddle and to break off this key identity marker. And it has everything to do with Sabbath. Notice the repetition of the word Sabbath as I read it through again. Verse 23, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to wheat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Have you, um, haven't you ever heard the scripture, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went to the house of God during the days of Abatha, was high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not, pe- uh, and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over Sabbath. He is meddling with an identity marker 
And he's taking the opportunity to actually correct what the Pharisees deemed this Sabbath to actually be. A little bit of background, about 200 years before this. Now, remember we talked about between Malachi and the Gospel of Mark, there's 400 years, okay? Right? So Israel, we talked about this a couple of months ago. Israel are in exile. They come out of exile, and they're expecting God to return to their temple. So they return back to Israel. They rebuild the temple. They go and do everything that Solomon did. But when Solomon prayed, the fire of God came down, and there was the glory of God present there. And when they did it after exile, there was nada. Nothing, right? So in their mind, they're still in exile, waiting for God. So in the Pharisees' mind, it's like, okay, we need to make sure that we keep Torah, we keep the law, and we're not in disobedience, because the better we can do this, the faster the Lord will return. That's going through the Pharisees' mind, because sometimes we give the Pharisees a really hard rap, okay? Sometimes we really do. But in their heart, what they're trying to achieve is actually God returning. That's actually what they want. So what they do 200 years before um, Jesus is on the scene. So that's about 200 years after the exile in this 400-year gap. So they get together and they call this great assembly. And what they do is that they're trying to make some safeguards. So just imagine this. Imagine if Torah was here and, okay, we need to obey the Ten Commandments and do all that over there. What they did is they say, okay, we're going to make um, 39 prohibitions they're going to protect us. So, so we know we're not supposed to break that, but in order to not break that, let's actually put this fence in place, all right? This fence in place. So if we, if we actually make sure we don't break the fence, we're obviously not going to break Torah. Does that make sense? So that's okay, 39. So after the 39 prohibitions, they thought to themselves, okay, this is what we'll do. Let's actually add another fence. And these are 39 requirements, okay? This is what they did. So not only is Torah over there, there are these requirements, there's the prohibitions, and then there's Torah. But they were doing it because they thought, as a nation, we need to obey God so that God will return. So their heart was actually right. But they added things that God did not actually say, which is never do that. And we talk about religion. See, we talk about religion as Christians. And sometimes we look at the, the black and white word of God in the New Testament and we say, oh, you know, that's just religious. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The religion that Jesus is talking about is not actually God's original, what God actually says. He's actually talking about the prohibitions and then the restrictions. He's talking about this man-made stuff that actually keeps people in bondage. He's not talking about what God actually said. So sometimes in the West, we like throw up this whole, I'm not religious, I have a relationship with the Lord. And then we go ahead and we live in the grace of God that we think is afforded to us and we actually break God's law. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. It doesn't matter if you agree or not. That's just as it is. That's the truth. See, that's what's happening. And what the disciples are doing, they're not breaking Torah. They're not even breaking a prohibition. They're breaking one of the requirements. So the disciples come to him and say, why are your disciples breaking the law? They weren't talking about Torah. They're talking about the requirements, which had been so instilled into the nation of Israel that it was just full of absolute pettiness that had people in bondage. And Matt went through all those things so well um, in the first service. So this is almost like a commentary of the first sermon, really, just to get greater understanding as to what's happening. But, that was, but that's an easy way to remember, isn't it? There's Torah, 
Then there's another fence, and then there's another fence. But the heart that the Pharisees truly wanted to see, they wanted to see the glory of God return to the temple. They wanted to see Israel return from exile. Because in their mind, even though we're out of Babylon, even though Assyria is come and gone, if the glory of God is not in the temple, and if we are under the thumb of the Roman Empire, we are still in exile and we are waiting that promise of Isaiah, behold, I'm doing a new thing. This is how this thing is lining up. Does that all make sense? Rock up one week and you get the whole gospel of Mark. There you go. So that's what's happening. So Jesus defends the actions of his disciples and in fact actually is very provocative as he always is because as we've said previously, everything that Jesus does is on his own terms. Jesus is king and he's okay being king. Jesus is God and he's not going to apologize for being God. So everything that Jesus does is on his own terms. So he defends the actions by going to a scripture in the Old Testament. But then he ends that by making this incredible statement. He says that Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for Sabbath. In that one sentence, he is actually pointing the Pharisees and he's actually pointing us back to the real identity and the real purpose of what Sabbath is all about. So he gives this historical, scriptural argument. Then he gives a theological argument. And then Jesus tightens the screws with this authoritative assertion in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And if we've been paying attention, that little title, Son of Man, has appeared only once previously with a paralytic. Remember that? Paralytic man is lowered down to Jesus' feet. He obviously needs healing, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Man, do they get ticked off there, because only God can forgive sin, right? And God's in heaven, not on earth. But he says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up and take your mat. This is the next time that Jesus uses that term, Son of Man, where he is speaking of his divinity. And he's going to pick it up again from chapter 8 on, and every time he does... He's actually talking about his divinity as Yahweh. And what's he saying? <laughs> that I have authority over the law itself. Wait a minute. The law was given to us from God. How? Again, you can see. He's actually making a startling claim. He says, I'm over the law because I'm the one who wrote the law for you. Up front. Again, people come knocking on your door. At this stage through Mark, you've got, you're equipped enough to actually answer anything that actually comes and confronts the divinity of Christ. And in this day and age, followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to need to know the divinity of Christ because that is the one thing that people will try to erode. Does that make sense? All right. All right. Okay, so let's try and put legs on this story, Okay. Because that's all well and good. A lot of that's historical, but what does that mean for today? Um, and this story, I'm going to pick it up um, next week in 11 o'clock service when we talk about another, the last conflict which has to do with Sabbath as well. And you're going to see how they flow in. But I think by this stage, we could probably say that, okay, it's probably not done right. But this, the, the Pharisees probably had, 
they were right in wanting to protect Sabbath, okay? Because Sabbath is an identity marker. It is one of those markers that actually um, sets Israel apart from all the other nations, okay? It is almost the most important identity marker. If you allow me to be crude, let me put it this way. The nation of Israel could not show the surrounding nations the ultimate symbol, the ultimate marker, circumcision. You can't go around doing that. Even say, you can't do that. You get arrested. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Right? They couldn't show the nations that one, but the nations knew them for this one. So as far as the nations looking upon Israel, they knew, like even in, in the ancient cities and all that, they knew this was a Jewish person because one day they would take Sabbath, and it was odd. So that's how they were known. That's how they were known. Jesus enters to correct this and return people to what Sabbath is all about. Now, Jesus is not doing away with the law. Remember, he came to fulfill the law. Okay. Um, I wonder if you remember, if you were around, in the first Sunday of this year, I did um, um, part two of a two-part series called The Art of Being Human. And I talked about rest. I actually talked about Sabbath. Okay, and um, it's really important to understand what Sabbath was actually about. Um, and Jesus actually returns to that. Sabbath is actually a command that's given twice to Israel um, after they come out of um, the Exodus, after slavery in Egypt. The first time where it's mentioned is Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, which says this, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That was the first time. The second time is in Deuteronomy 5, and it actually has a little bit of a twist. Um, there's, something, there's something else that's added. Um, verse 15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand, an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, let's see if you remember what I said. This is a great test to see how good my, preach, my sermons are. The first time that Sabbath is given as a command to God's people, it is pointing to creation of the seven days of creation. And what it is saying is that when God actually created the heavens and the earth, okay, in that poem that we call Genesis, all right? that he actually put a rhythm in life. And on that seventh day, it's not like God got tired, but he rested. In other words, he actually took a step back, he looked at everything he had created, and he took delight in it. And part of Sabbath is actually having a rhythm of life, especially in a world that's so chaotic and so busy. And we actually, uh, actually try to um, put importance Onto how busy we are, right? Yeah, God will say there needs to be a rhythm of life. And the rhythm of life, in, if you're a human, the rhythm of life actually goes in accordance with creation, which means there should be a day where you can actually step back, where you can actually sit down, where you could look at everything that you've done in partnership with the Lord and say, you know what, God, we did pretty good. Isn't that good? That was great. You know what? And at times like that, it's like, I'll sit with the Lord and the Lord say, yeah, that was good. It was great. 
Um, I, I remember I mentioned like um, Eugene Peterson. Oh, he's phenomenal at this. And he was talking about Sabbath, and he's just banging on about Sabbath. So if you've ever read Eugene Peterson, he is very, very annoying um, to read if you're a leader or if you're kind of this type A personality because he never gets to the point fast. But he was talking about Sabbath, 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 Sabbath. And he was talking about if God is creating all this, all this creation, and if he's wanting to take garden, the Garden of Eden to like the Garden City, which is found in Revelation, it's actually Sabbath, which is the doorway that allows us to um, partner with God. So in other words, if we want to actually be part of God in bringing and pushing forward new creation that happened in resurrection, we need to actually step back and actually allow ourselves to fall into this rest with the Lord. And it's that day that is blessed. And if you remember, that word blessed means that's where reproduction and more activity comes out of it. So in an ironic twist, if we want to actually produce more in our life, we need to rest in the Lord. Otherwise, we won't see more kingdom productivity. Do you remember that? See, that was a good point back in January. The second time that it is spoken of in Deuteronomy, it is not pointing back to creation. It is pointing back to their slavery. He says, remember that you were slaves. And I remember unpacking a good chapter of that as well, where Pharaoh, literally out of Pharaoh's mouth, he is again and again calling God's people lazy. Here's the words that are coming out of his mouth. You are too busy to go and worship your God. Right? This is what he says. I'm going to give you less to work with, but now I require more. Does that sound like 2019? That is called slavery. Right? So we may think Sabbath, this is like a really old, ancient idea. Wait a minute. A rhythm of life is still important today. And negating the traps of slavery is still relevant and important today. Right? And God says this. In two times he commands, you need to actually remember, I don't care when it is, it doesn't have to be that. I don't care when it is, but there needs to be some part of your life where you actually stay, step outside, you, you rest and you take the light because it's going to allow you to get in sync with the rhythm that has actually been ordained for you to live in, number one, which is pretty good. And number two, it's going to actually give you the wisdom and allow you to escape the slavery that so easily happens, especially in a Western secular world that will continue to say, you need to work, you need to work. You're too, like, I'm a pastor. It astounds me the amount of Christians who don't rock up the church. Seriously? Right. And a lot, large part of that is because of work. This is Pharaoh speaking. This is Pharaoh speaking. Anyway, do you remember that? That was a good message, wasn't it? That was a great message. And this is why Jesus is saying the Sabbath is made for humankind. Right? That makes sense, right? The Sabbath is a gift to allow us to be more truly human, in other words. It's not, the Sabbath is not, humankind for the Sabbath is not that way around. But the, pharaohs had made it, uh, the Pharisees had made it that way. That's what he's saying. He's correcting that. But then he kind of goes on a little bit further, and this will be outworked in the next story. And the next story is Jesus healing um, this guy with a withered hand on Sabbath. You know? You can imagine. You've got Torah. Then you've got the first fence. And then you got the second fence. 
and they're all looking. If Sabbath is the key identity marker, that people will identify who God's people are. How is Jesus in him redefining this? Well, I like the way Rick Watts actually does it. And he is um, the forefront theologian with Mark and theology in the world. And again, this is going to be fully expressed in next week's story. But Jesus is returning us to the true identity marker. And this is what Jesus says. My people will not be known for Sabbath keeping. Rather, my people will be known for people keeping. That's how we will be known. We will not be known because we set aside Sunday morning to go to church. Now, that's an important thing. But that won't be the thing that the world knows us by. We will be known by the way that we treat and care for people, in particular, people who cannot give anything back to us. Do you remember that story? Jesus sitting down. The children want to run to him, right? Want to run to him. The disciples try to keep him away, and Jesus gets ticked off, you know? Ticked off, big time. Brings them in and teaches them a lesson. And the lesson that Jesus teaches, this is what he says, the way that you use your authority, the way that you use your power, the way that you use your influence with one of these little ones who cannot give you anything in return, that's most important. That's most important. How we care for the most vulnerable. How we care for the powerless. That is the identity marker. And he starts the conversation here and he finishes it in the next story when he heals this man who desperately needs to be healed. But all the Pharisees are looking and they're looking and they're trying to figure out, okay, which fence are you going to jump, Jesus? And from the very beginning, even here, don't you remember the story? David goes into the temple. The guys following David, they're hungry, so they go and eat. Because it's not about Sabbath keeping, it's about people keeping. The needs of David's followers superseded what the law said at that time. That's the argument. That's the argument he's making. And that's the argument he makes even today as well. Are we people keepers? How does the city of Armadale, the city of Gosnells, know we as New Spring Church are followers of Jesus? It has everything to do with how we care for the vulnerable, how we care for those who cannot give us anything in return. And I understand the temptation, you know, you know, I'll go hang out with someone because they might be able to give us a good check or something. Actually, we're not that kind of church. No one wants to give us any checks. But you know what I'm saying? I'd like to be one of those churches. Dear Lord, one day. But as a church, how do we leverage our stuff? So we've got limited resources, but that's what we do, you know? Mondays and Tuesdays, we give out food. We give out hampers, right? So we leverage that, and we, we try to focus on, on families where there are kids. There are kids, you know? They're real vulnerable. Why are we... Just Giving, like spending money that we don't have to actually put 20,000 bucks a year to get 12 buckets happening in Grovelands. 
in little primary school kids because they are the vulnerable. And Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know you're my followers, the way you care for the vulnerable. Next week in the first service, we have Altar One coming here, and we have every intention to be an Altar One campus. But at the same time, there are certain programs that we want to actually explore with them as well. One of the programs is about, about young people who are so traumatized, they cannot actually um, exit their house. They're trapped in their house. They're so traumatized. So Alter One's got a program. They're pioneering something to help that. It's doing pretty well. They want to see, okay, New Spring, would you be interested um, in the city of Armadale? Yeah, yes. On the other extreme, we've got young people who are about to go to prison, about to be incarcerated. Is there any way you'd be interested in that? Yes. Why? Because this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is how the nations know who we are. This is the identity marker. How we care for the vulnerable how we care for those who cannot give us anything in return. And that's the challenge that Jesus actually puts out. And you can understand that this was very confrontational. And it actually brought a lot of conflict. But Jesus, as I said, he's doing everything on his own terms and he's not apologizing. And he brings us back to what Sabbath is about Sabbath is actually given to bless you. I dare say, if you don't know what it means to rest, if your mind's going crazy, you need to really consider this commandment of Sabbath. It doesn't have to be on a Sunday. You could do two half days, I don't know. But work it out so you could actually take some time, set it aside, and actually take delight in the Lord, but at the same time not get caught in a rat race that is this world because this, this gift of Sabbath is supposed to get our life in sync with the rhythm that we're supposed to be in, also escape the slavery that so easily happens. But at the same time, we are supposed to be known not for keeping a day. We're actually supposed to be known for the way we keep people. Does that make sense? Yes. Let me pray for you. And then we can go and have lunch or something. I don't know. Anyway. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ. And how it does warm our hearts as we open scripture, as we allow scripture to be engrafted into our life. I pray that um, by your spirit we've gained understanding this morning. And understanding to a point where we can actually apply it into our lives. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see those in our life who are vulnerable, who, who need care, who need love, who need looking after. May we be generous in how we care for those who cannot give anything to us. Father, I ask you would open up opportunities that we would be a people who are known for looking after those who are the powerless, looking after those who need help, and that you would grace us, that whatever little we have, that we would be able to pour that out in a way that breaks your kingdom in and takes your kingdom forth into this world. We pray in Jesus' name.